Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you start a business or when you join a company, there is only really one responsibility, and that's to the success of the company. The problem is, is if you have your ego in at any level of that, it stops the next level going. So if your ego is ruining your company culture because you think as a leader, only you can do it, so I'm going to do it. I'm the best at this. I'm carrying the company. All of those things create this negative and toxic company culture, which then stops healthy productivity, which then stops you achieving your business goals. Welcome to the new season of the Not Perfect Podcast. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, the author and founder of the award-winning app and best-selling book, Happy Not Perfect. This is our time to take a break and go within to unlock ourselves in a new way and stretch our thinking. Whatever you are going through right now, I welcome you into this conversation with a new inspiring thought leader each week to help us thrive, rise and realize our full truth and unlimited potential. As you might know, if you read my book, I'm passionate about us becoming flexible in our thinking. And that starts with some mind, body and soul healing. So let's dive in. Before we crack into this episode, I quickly want to tell you about the amazing 20% discount on the best CBD Not Perfect listeners have been exclusively given by our epic podcast partners, Platinum from Columbia Care. So you may have tried CBD in the past, but I assure you, this CBD is very different. Platinum from Columbia Care are one of the highest quality CBD brands you can find. They began creating medical grade CBD to help doctors and patients and later launched a range of CBD everybody could use at home to support their wellness routine. So use the code NOTPERFECT20 and visit Col care.uk and I'll put that link in the show notes to take advantage of this discount for a limited time only. I use Platinum by Columbia Care every single night before I go to sleep and it's helping me so much to get a better more restful night's sleep. You may use CBD to help you focus or perhaps you may use it just to relax in the afternoon or in moments where you feel a bit nervous. Use the code NOTPERFECT20 to get 20% off, and I can't wait to hear about your experience. Today, I'm interviewing one of my best friends and one of the most inspiring, fantastic, pioneering women on the planet. Sharmadine Reed is a serial entrepreneur, an author, an international speaker, and most recently the founder and CEO of The Stack World. If you are not a member yet, I highly recommend downloading the stack and signing up and having a look. It's full of meetups, talks, and now clubs to connect with other like-minded women and experience some mind-blowing events. Her mission is to create economic and social empowerment for women through technology and media. 
She began her entrepreneurial journey with War Nails that changed the beauty world forever, and her next company is set to do the same thing through communities. Sharmadine is Wonder Woman. She not only inspires thousands of women daily, but also is the inspiring mother to Roman, her son. Just a quick note before we start, this is one of the first live podcasts I've recorded, so sometimes the sound quality is slightly challenged. Please bear with us if you hear some unfamiliar noises or interruptions. I've recorded this podcast at a very special event, the Fragrant Shop's House of Happy event. The event has been set up to celebrate World Smile Day. Isn't that such a lovely day? And their incredible charity partner, Rays of Sunshine, which is very close to my heart and was created to brighten the lives of children who are living with serious or life-limiting illnesses between the ages of 3 to 18 across the United Kingdom. The Fragrant Shop is a brilliant, feel-good business and my go-to for all things fragrance in the UK. So I'm thrilled to be supporting them today. Enjoy. Sharmadine, what is a quote you return to often and why? So I'm going to have to read this out because it's so long and complex. My quote is, thus, the task is not so much to see what no one yet has seen, but to think what nobody yet has thought about that which everybody sees, which is Arthur Schopenhauer. And the the reason I love this quote is because sometimes we're running around searching for the next big idea. What's the next thing? Like, what can I do that nobody else is doing? When actually what he's saying in this quote, or how I interpret it is, Everybody can look at the same thing, but can you think differently about it? You know, can you all look at the same opportunity or, you know, the same business plan, but see something different? So I see myself not necessarily as a true genius or innovator. What I think that I'm very good at is applying existing things that already are out there in the stratosphere, but to new markets, primarily millennial women you know, living in the city. So what I mean by that is women don't often get access to the things that other people have access to or that have been around for a long time. And I'm like, how can we bring that to this market? I really love that because I've definitely got to places in my life where suddenly, because I'm not thinking a totally new idea, I feel I have no ideas. Mm. And this is actually some advice that you've given me in the past, which is you don't necessarily always have to do new things. Yeah. Just do the same thing, but better. Mm -hmm. I really love that quote. Thank you for sharing. What's a life lesson you've been reminded of recently and why? A life lesson I've been reminded of recently would probably be that people only ever want you to be yourself. It's easy to get distracted with what everybody else is doing, to think, oh, they're doing that, so I need to do a bit of that. But you're only doing it like 10% because it's not your authentic self. What people actually want is for you to be you, your most authentic, fullest, truest self. I was actually watching Marvel with my son where I get so many life lessons and I can't remember the quote verbatim but it was something along the lines of, we always fail at what we're supposed to be, like the goal is to just be who you are, you know, because if, if you think about who you're supposed to be, that's such a future fictional thing, of course you're never going to be that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just be yourself. I love that. And I just want to kind of, following on from that, why do you think it's so hard or challenging 
to be yourself or even to because I've had times in my life where I've even forgotten who myself is I would say that's because of noise I would say it's either internet noise or noise of the city like you know we're here in the heart of London it's impossible to just find space to kind of empty your mind and I think there's a lot of noise from the pressure of everybody's productivity and achievements and success so again like I said it's pulling you in all of these different directions I find what works for me which I have to do very regularly otherwise I go off the rails is I have to go away for 48 hours into the countryside into nature anything nature based and just let my mind relax and from letting it relax it's almost like it uncovers the kernel of myself yeah do you know what I mean what one of the things I say in a, a weekly group I do for our members is I say I'm guessing that you probably already know what you want but there's a lot of distractions that are in the way and the goal of these sessions is to remove the distractions and you know another quote that's always misattributed to Michelangelo um, or John Ruskin is you have to chip away at the stone that doesn't look like David or Venus so you know you have a, a, a slab of marble and people say, how on earth can you create a, such a beautiful sculpture like David? And he's like, oh, it's, I just chip away at the stone that doesn't look like David. So I see my goal in terms of finding myself is I chip away at the things that don't look like myself. So when I'm like acting from anger or jealousy or, you know, being egotistical, I'm like, that's not me. So let me like chip away at the things that don't look like me. I love that so much, uncovering the kernel of yourself. That has so many interpretations and things that I think we can all relate to in our life of like the kind of masks that we put on ourselves in order to perform these identities. And it often takes years or a while to like remove the identity to actually get to that seed idea. It does take years and what I often say is that in your 20s, in your teens and 20s, you should actually be collecting data on who you are and what works for you. So what I mean by that is, let's say in your 20s you meet a new group of friends and that group of friends happens to go camping all the time. So you go camping all the time, you go camping you know, every month for a whole year. And then after a year, you're like, do you know what? I don't like camping. I'm doing it because these friends are doing it. I'm attached to friends, but I don't like camping. You need to just log that as a piece of data because that otherwise you get drawn into things endlessly that aren't you, that you don't want to do. It can be as simple as camping or it could be more complex as the type of relationship you attract. Oh, I always seem to attract really critical women in my life. Why is that? And I do it over and over and over again. And I don't know why I'm doing it, but it doesn't suit me. It doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm 37 now. And one of the things that I feel very blessed for is that because I listened and was incredibly self-reflective from a young age, I have such an amazing data log of what works for me and what doesn't. So it allows me to create decisions really quickly, have really good muscle memory and recognize when things aren't right or aren't working for me and walk away from them almost instantly. My goal is to close the gap between my emotional reactions mm. to things and the intellectual understanding. Because we all know what doesn't, like intellectually we can be like, this person is bad for me, but emotionally, for whatever reason, you might still be attracted to them. Mm. So you need to kind of 
create you know pattern recognition and muscle memory to close the gap between the emotional and the intellectual and that takes years as you said it takes a lot of time but if you just move consciously through whatever you're doing you can do it better and quicker and to your first point knowing yourself helps you yeah i was about to say that like rewind from the chipping away at the stone that doesn't look like venus the only reason i'm able to do that is because i wrote a very concise document on who i am as a person mm. so it's a one page document it's called my personal vision mission and principles so it's my vision for my life so what my life's work and my life's purpose is my mission which is the 3 to 5 year scope executing on that purpose So you know to be transparent my vision is economic power for women I think I'll be doing that till I'm 70 in some degree my mission today is let's do that by creating a knowledge and network system for women and then my principles are the way by which I move through the world and execute on that so some of the words that are on there are integrity authenticity discipline fun <laughs> so you know I will I write the word fun and then I'm like people enjoy being around me because i'm magnetic full of energy and lift their spirits mm. i write authenticity people only ever want me to be me integrity i act with integrity in all areas of my life from personal to business and this statement is kind of like 80% how i move through the world today and 20% that i don't 20% that i want to be but because i've written it out i know the direction of travel so whenever i'm feeling very low or lost or stuck i just reread the document it's on my phone i can access it all the time and i'm like oh yeah this is who i am this person's amazing i can't wait to meet her or be her you know so then i start edging myself in the direction of these 10 principles by which i want to live I just love how you've taken what you want from life and put it into a formula because as they say you know you are what you do repeatedly and I find that you have taken these concepts and we're going to go into your love of stoicism but I just love how you've taken the theory and made it so practical and not only for yourself but through your network you help thousands of women to do the same thing but before we move on to the stack I'd love to ask you how do you define happiness I don't define it it's just a feeling. Mm. Like sometimes I look around and I'm like I am so happy right now and I label it because I think it's important to label it. And if I'm honest and I, you know and if you're asking for a concrete definition in the times when I have labeled my happiness it's usually because I'm learning something like i know this sounds so random but if i'm in a lecture i'll be like i'm so happy right now that <laughs> i have the ability to learn mm. you know we're so privileged like mm. the fact that we like in london can walk into some of the most iconic buildings in the world attend a free public lecture be stones throw away from you know greatness and in intellect is such a privilege you know the fact that i can walk down the street like as a woman semi freely you know given what's happening right now is a privilege i think that my happiness comes from very small like pleasures so i don't define happiness as a destination i think about it as the being that i'm in right now i never think about happiness as a definition because if you define it then it's something outside of you love that 
So I receive many newsletters. I have signed up to many, some that I've actually wanted to, some that I've just found myself I've signed up to, and my inbox is full. The only newsletter I read is yours. Yours is the only one because I know I will not leave your newsletter without a serious dose of wisdom <laughs> or a serious dose of... <gasps> so um, there was this one newsletter that went out called Friendships Can Be Hard, and it went viral. I saw it all over social media, and I thought to myself, that's so interesting that this piece of content you wrote has such a profound impact on people. Why do you think that was? Yeah, I was really surprised by that, actually. Like, I think friendships are interesting right now for women especially, but I think for most people who are approaching the age of around 28 to maybe 32, who are starting to realise that when you're 28, all of your friends you acquired by default. Mm. So what I mean by that is you went to the same schools, your families know each other, you went to the same church, you live on the same street, you work in the same place. These are default friendships, right? So like when you're friends with the same people you went to school with, the only thing that binds you usually is your experience of being at the same school and possibly by having the same living situation, class, race. But to me, these are really arbitrary reasons for friendship. They're not solid foundations for friendship. Like I said about when we first met, it's important for me to ensure that the friends that I have are supporting me, I'm supporting them, we are heading in similar directions, we have similar values, goals. It's almost like I'm stress testing my friendships through life. It's a bit like when people meet and they say that they're going to get married or they love someone within two weeks. Mm. And I'm like, but you haven't seen that person at crisis mode, rock bottom. You haven't seen Mm. how they behave in front of your parents. Mm. You haven't seen how they behave when they're stressed, when they're happy. You know, what's their relationship with food, with substances? Like, what happens if they break their leg and they suddenly can't walk anymore? Do you get what I'm saying? So it's almost like similar with friendships. So at that point, at 28, when you're in your probably your second or third job, you might be settling down, you might be moving out of the areas where you lived before, the relationships that you have had in your 20s start to pull away, right? And then you, you, you see your friends less frequently, you don't call them as often, and there's no reason, it's just life, like life gets busy. And at that point, you start questioning why you're friends with that person in the first place and what I tried to do in the newsletter was use the analogy of a theatre and your front row to explain how you don't need to cut anybody off you don't need to be like I'm not going to be friends with that person anymore you just need to accept that with life people move in and out of your front row so if you imagine you've got your front row of friends And the reason I use the analogy of theatre and not a cinema is because it's the idea that the front row get to see your sweat, your veins pop in, they see the blood, you know what I mean? They see your knuckles white when you're stressed. In a cinema, you can see it from the back, 4K HD, you know? (laughs) But in a theatre, you have to be very close, literally in the front row, to be able to see the true theatre of your life. Now, sometimes people in the front row 
will be talking during your performance. Sometimes they'll be rustling bits of paper and distracting you. Sometimes they'll be cheering you on. You know, let's say you forgot you came out on stage without your trousers on. They'll throw you a pair of trousers and just make sure everything goes smooth. They'll be clapping you, cheering you. But sometimes people in your front row are not in your looking after your best interests. And what you need to do is just move them back a few rows. So you don't need to necessarily cut them off. You just need to be like, do you know what? You're not going to get to see all the rawness of my performance. Maybe you don't tell them everything about what's going on in your personal life. Maybe you don't share your intimate experiences with them. And you move them further and further back until they just become an acquaintance. And that's okay. Yeah, I think that went viral because not only did it address a problem of friendships in your late 20s, early 30s, but it also gave a really funny analogy slash solution for what to do about it because I always try and give practical advice for the things that I'm doing. Stoicism is something you draw a lot of inspiration from and a quote that you wrote which really uh, kind of just resonated with me. You don't have to turn this into something. This doesn't have to upset you by Marcus Aurelius. How do you avoid not turning the minor into the major? Because this is like a real thing that I have to work on. It's so hard and I am not perfect and I still let minor things bother me but I put a timeline on them. Like, I'm just like, I'm going to let myself moan about this for the next 20 minutes and then I'm going to move on. Mm. Give yourself space to do it. Don't, don't berate yourself for, for having quite a normal, natural reaction. But the thing that I try and always revert back to, probably one of the best life lessons I've had, which was from my friend Camille maybe like 11 years ago, was around scarcity and abundant mindset. Mm. And like... I realized that most of the things that upset me are due to scarcity mindset. And I would say it's probably similar with the women in my life or the people in my workplace. When they're upset about something, I think, why are you upset about this? Do you think it's your last chance? Mm. Do you think there's not enough money in the world or jobs for you? Or like there's not enough things for you? So yeah, I always think, man, I'm in scarcity mindset. Let me get myself out of that and go into abundance and know that things are coming to me. I think this is one of the most important points uh, because I definitely grew up in an environment where scarcity mindset was the predominant mindset, like we don't have enough money. And then even now I feel it with like relationships, like, oh, there's no great people out there. Oh, I'm going to be single forever. There's just, it's so easy to fall into fear. How do you keep yourself returning to abundance? Like, I know I'm going to receive like all the blessings and more. It's one of my principles. So in one of my principles on abundant mindset or abundant thinking is I know that I have prospects. I know I'm intelligent enough to always work it out. And I know I can always generate more. And when I mean more, generate more could mean more energy more ideas, more friendships, more money, more work. I just have this thing. I know I can always generate more. Like I'm a limitless supply of dot, dot, dot. So I kind of do it in an affirmation style to help my mindset. But it's only natural for women to have a scarcity mindset. We've had no resources for 5,000 years. We've had no access. You know, the distribution has never been in our favor. 
So it's literally like to me built into our DNA to have a scarcity mindset because we've never been abundant as women. We've never had a beyond 50% in anything. There is no positive statistic that I've seen in terms of gender equality that is 50-50, no. Like even now when you know people are excited because 30% of women are on boards up from like 22%, I'm like, cool, 30%, that's not 50%, is it? So I think it's important for you to have compassion for your scarcity mindset and understand that your scarcity mindset is coming from five millennia of having nothing, but today you can decide how the next 5,000 years are gonna be. Like today you can say, do you know what? I'm gonna move forward in this abundant mindset. Things are coming to me, I can always generate more. And what I do today is going to have an impact on the women after me and after me and after me and the women around me. So that's where I try and think I'm like, you know, when I'm in scarcity mindset, I call it my lower self. And I do whatever I can to basically climb up and get to my higher self and in my abundant mindset. So powerful what you just said. Today we have a choice and how we want the next 5,000 years to unfold for not only ourselves, but also our children and our children's children. And it really is up to us. And I think we are in a way in, this, in the most incredible time of history to be alive at this moment in time to define so much. And, um, and this brings me so nicely on to the stack, which to me is, when I say it's my most valuable membership, it's a lifeline to this type of thinking because as I'm sure you might agree in the audience I have so many more friends that push me further into scarcity mindset because you know fear loves fear um, fear is highly contagious so something like the stack is such a vital lifeline for me because it actually brings me closer to thinking like what you've been sharing with us today but also other like-minded women yeah because you already think like this which is why we're friends. <laughs> and your book is exactly this. It's putting the theory into practice. And, you know, you made a really interesting point there of being surrounded by more fearing friends than more, like, abundant thinking friends. The way that I think about the Stack World as a network is the one woman out of the crew of five women who is just a little bit different. So I'm not necessarily trying to speak to all five women today, you know, just from a business model type of view. I feel like we've got quite specific content and that specific content is driven to the one mission driven woman in the crew who wants to make the world different. Mm -hmm. And it might be that they care about food poverty. They might care about climate change. They might care about um, financial equity, whatever it is that they care about, they can come to the stack, find we call it like the three C's, the content, so mm. they can read editorial about it, conversations, they can join a discussion group about it. We have literally hundreds of events happening all the time. And the final thing which we're releasing imminently is the commerce part, the idea that you know women can essentially monetize their micro communities because I don't really think I can talk about economic empowerment without providing a platform to do so. Otherwise, we're just talking the same stuff all the time. So talk to me about that. So the Stack membership, yeah. you have events all week on different, can you share some of the topics you've events on? Yeah, so the events that we've got um, that are the most popular is my, I do a Monday morning, Monday lunchtime, sorry, motivation session. So 
it's motivation in a different way. It's less like you go girl and it's more like <laughs> let's move the trash that's stopping you being your best self. We also do like a women in tech demos. We do financial salons, so savings and investments. It's quite broad, but we have these five categories, right? We have beauty events and content, beauty, wellness, business, culture and politics. And the reason that it's so broad is because I feel like women are complex creatures and we need to speak to the whole self. I didn't want to just create like a working mom's club or a domestic abuse survivors club because you might also be a working mom and a domestic yeah. uh, abuse survivor and you know you shouldn't have to dial any one of those things up or down and kind of pigeonhole yourself into an area where it's just like one stream of content i'm really interested in creating an environment that understands the orchestra of experience you know that a woman has had in her life ongoing so what the next phase is for me for this is to actually go beyond just creating content ourselves and actually help women facilitate their own content their own events and their own communities so with any network when you get to over a thousand people it starts to kind of like dissipate mm. you know so imagine you have a club of 10 women and you're all super connected and it grows and grows and grows and the bonds get looser and weaker and what i think about it i actually think about it like a tree like we created the roots and the foundation it's grown up it's grown up it's blossomed and now we've got like a thousand 1300 like branches but they're going to start getting thinner and thinner and thinner as they grow so i almost think like a rainforest how can those roots go back down again and then we lift them up again and it and do you get what i mean yeah. i'm interested now in supporting an entire ecosystem rather than being a megaphone of content it's like how can i help you create your own content and your own communities because to me that's the future i feel like there are incredible women today women knowledge workers women entrepreneurs women consultants it might be anything from a doula to a wealth manager mm. and it's like how do i help them earn their money and grow their community and grow their fan base So we're actually going to be setting up a happy not perfect not perfect podcast group on the stack and I just love it because obviously each week we have a podcast on a different topic and then I think to myself well I just really want to discuss like what someone like you has shared with everyone else who's listening but I just think it'd be really nice to go ah oh, that point really resonated or whatever and I haven't really had a place to do that yet so I'm really excited about setting that up and I'll put details of that in the show notes of this episode So you have been building this business and having also built a business I can tell anyone it is one of the most challenging tasks that you can take on because there are so many different elements to it and you wrote in one of your newsletters saying your ego is not your amigo what have you found to be the biggest challenges in business and how does your ego play out in that I would say the biggest challenge in business is the people and that's why i wrote about ego because if you want to build a really nice healthy consulting business which i highly encourage everyone to do and do so on the stack in the future you know you only have to look after you yourself and your clients right like those are the people that you're serving it's really simple you know yourself you know your capabilities and you're servicing a client or an audience 
The difficulty with building a business and a business that you want to scale and grow big is that you need to hire incredibly talented people to join you on that journey. And what I've found over the last like 10, 11 years of running businesses is that people are wonderfully complex human creatures that have their own needs and desires, they have their own issues, they have their own traumas as well. And navigating that can be quite challenging. The way that I've tried to do it, the way that I'm still working on it is about ego management and understanding that when you start a business or when you join a company, there is only really one responsibility and that's to the success of the company. So your goal as a leader or a manager is to encourage productivity, like how can you get the best out of your team? So that might be a healthy company culture, it might be amazing performance reviews, it might be coaching, it might be uh, team bonding sessions, whatever it is from a company culture point of view, your company culture increases productivity, which then increases the ability for your company to have the best chance at winning in whatever it, whatever it is. The problem is, is if you have your ego in at any level of that, it stops the next level going. So if your ego is ruining your company culture because you think as a leader, only you can do it, so I'm going to do it. I'm the best at this. I'm carrying the company. No one understands me. My co-workers don't care about me. I did that piece of work and I didn't get credited in the meeting. All of those things create this negative and toxic company culture, which then stops healthy productivity, which then stops you achieving your business goals. I feel that it's completely natural for culture to ebb in and out of healthiness to unhealthy. I think that's only normal. As you grow, as the business needs change, if your company's seasonal, as the work ramps up, people get really stressed. Then it goes down again. And when people are stressed, you know, you talk about this a lot in your book, you have different chemicals running through your body, you respond differently emotionally, all of these different things happen when you're stressed. And what I've noticed, you know, happens frequently is a team member might be doing incredibly well. So because they're doing well, they do more. We as leaders tend to give the good people more and give the good people more. And then they get to a breaking point and then they start underperforming and then egos all around are flying, emotions all around are flying. So the challenge is, how do you, in your organisation, try and support your team to be the best that they can be and not poor at the things they're like not good at? You know, I'm always like, am I using all of my best skills here or am I doing someone else's job just okay? Oh my gosh, it's so poignant that observation about someone doing their job well, they then take on more and also if you are the person who is performing really well, knowing when to say no, I actually am doing really well because I've got the perfect amount of work for me right now is really important. <laughs> Setting boundaries for yourself. Yes, and you have been my greatest mentor in understanding boundaries. Talk to me about boundaries. Like, how do you know when you're not setting them in the right way? Or at what point did you learn to know what your limit is and when to, you know, say no? I would say it's really connected with having a child because 
sometimes when you get asked to do something or you get drawn into something and it's the only person being hurt is yourself I think we're so used to being hurt and in hurtful energy that we just allow it to happen mm. but then when you have a tiny little baby and crossing that boundary means hurting this tiny person it becomes a lot easier to really define those boundaries so what I mean is let's say somebody asked me to do a piece of work for free and they're an old friend so I feel like I can't say no I might do it and be upset about it because it like took three hours out of my weekend etc but I'm going to do it anyway the difference is now when you have a small child three hours out of your weekend is three hours where your child is not spending time with you mm. as the parent and then that cost analysis benefit analysis is way off so it becomes much easier for me to be like I'm really sorry I can't do this because I really need to spend time with my son what I would suggest for those who don't have children is to think of their inner child mm. like the spaces where your boundaries are being crossed can hurt your inner child right and that doesn't feed you very well so I feel like a lot of women have said this to me in the past that when they've had children it becomes easier to say no because they use their children as a mini weapon like as a mini protector as a shield if someone says my son's sick I'm not coming into work today nobody questions that right mm. but what if you need to say my inner child is sick <laughs> my inner child needs nurturing today actually mm. so no I'm not going to work till 10 o'clock at night unpaid I'm not going to do that mm. because actually I need the time to nurture and work on myself and I feel like we don't really support that language at the moment in the workplace yeah. or even in life. I'm really impressed with my friends who in the past have said to me, I'm really sorry I can't do this because I'm working on my mental health. Mm. I'm like always so impressed with that because it acknowledges that it is work. It's actually physical yeah. work. You have to write, you have to journal, you have to meditate, you have to do all of those things to ensure that your mental health is well. So in terms of setting boundaries, Think about, you know, your inner child as a real human, as a real person that needs care and nurturing. And when boundaries are crossed and those boundaries can be work boundaries, I, I find that more often than not they're work-related boundaries being crossed. It might be around the way that someone talks to you. Like, you know, I've got quite a few friends that, you know, I'm in a bit of a, a group where people have issues with the way their mothers talk to them. So it's like when you go into your childhood home and your parents talk to you as if you're still like 10 years old, that is a boundary that can be quite difficult. And again, it's about recognizing that this isn't helping my baby. Like if you had a little baby next to you and someone walked up to it and said like some unkind words to a little human right next to you, you'd be upset, right? You'd feel protected over it. You would feel that you needed to ensure that it felt safe and understood. So... Why don't we do that for ourselves? And I think that's my method of setting boundaries is really thinking about nurturing my inner child and treating them as if it was they were treating uh, I was talking to Roman, you know?
And who was your greatest kind of mentor in inner child work? So I'm a massive fan of Margaret Paul. It was a really funny story, actually, because I do think the universe works in strange ways, whereby the day before my birthday a couple of years ago, I parked my car up outside of Hyde Park. I needed the nature. I was like driving and I was like, I have to just get out my car and go and walk in the park for a bit. I'm really tired. I was like, I need something to read. I opened the boot of my car and in my boot is full of trash. It's like I've got everything you need to survive in an apocalypse is in the boot of my car, right? <laughs> and underneath there was a book, like all crushed and folded. And I was like, oh my God, this book has been in my car for a year because my auntie gave it to my auntie as a counsellor. She gave it to me a year ago and I pulled this book out, Healing Your Aloneness. And I took it to the park to read it. And within two pages, I was crying my eyes out. I was like, oh my goodness, this is me right now. So when my aunt first gave me the book, I wasn't ready for it. I think mm. this about your book. There'll be people who are reading your book who aren't ready for it. Mm. And there'll be people who will pick it up in a year or two years or 10 years and be like, oh my God, I need this right now today. Mm. I read her book. And then I was like, I wonder if she has a podcast. And she didn't. And then she started one. So again, I think it's timing. Her podcast is just her talking, 20 minutes on a subject. It's like meditation. Mm. I love it. And she was, her work on inner child thinking, inner child therapy has been really useful for me to keep returning back to. What do you do when you just do not feel motivated, which I'm sure is a common feeling between so many people? I actually had this this summer, believe it or not. I'm very good at maintaining a public persona that seems like everything is shiny. If you know me though, you'll recognize it. You know, if you know me, you'll see when I'm not motivated. And I did a few things. Firstly, go to the countryside or get out of your daily routine because I feel like habit stops new ideas coming in. Like break your habit, walk down a different street, you know, go to a different town. I'm quite good at 48 hour random travel. So I'll just be like, I'm going to go to Canterbury and I'll get in my car and I'll go and I'll find a hotel and I'll book a cheap hotel and stay there. And I force myself to be so bored, like literally bored, that my mind gets to relax and the ideas get to come through. The second thing I do on these trips is I'll listen to podcasts, so many podcasts that are adjacent to my business. So I'll listen to a media show and then a finance show, like a, a podcast on open banking, a po podcast on future of education, future of cities. I'll listen to podcasts while walking in nature. I'll walk in the rain, I don't care where. And I will go by myself and just walk. And then while I'm listening to podcasts, that's when I tend to finally get some ideas. And by the next morning, I'll be on my computer like a flurry writing. This has happened for me so many times. So that's my method for when I'm feeling unmotivated, but you will find yours. And like I said, the only reason I know this is because I have done so many different variations of it. I've done like workshops or going to a, mo a productivity lecture. None of those things really work. What works for me is that. But something else will work for you, I think. Thank you so much, Sharmadine, for, for the work that you do in this world, for you as a person. And, um, and I'm sure I speak for everyone here today. We're just incredibly great, grateful for you. And the great thing is, is that everyone can have more Sharmadine in their life because everybody can sign up to the stack and now also can create their own communities. But, but most importantly, the Monday Motivation Session 
if you're going to do anything, do that. If you're going to do anything for your mental health, just go to that. And your group when it starts. You've been absolutely <laughs> instrumental to my thinking. Our late night chats have pushed me further. So, yeah, I'm very grateful for friends that understand me like you. Thank you, Poppy. Thank you for listening. It would be a huge support if you wouldn't mind rating, subscribing and sharing this podcast. I also would love to hear from you. So please find me at Poppy Jamie on Instagram, DM me and I would love to hear your thoughts on any of the topics that we discuss. Download Happy Not Perfect, my app that's designed to boost your mood and help you sleep and give you mindfulness in less than five minutes. It's packed full of science-backed tools and rituals to give your mind the care it needs. Sending lots of love and energy. See you next time. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.